Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, guys. Hello, welcome back. Hello, welcome back. Today we uh, we're talking about something fun. I would I would say so, yeah. But also difficult to talk about. I would say some would say it is the philosophical question, I guess. And some will say that it is a question that doesn't have any answer, as usual. <laughs> That's true. And what that is is the good life. Yeah, we're gonna be analyzing this this interesting concept right this this idea of of living the so-called good life whatever that means hmm. and and the one thing right off the bat that i think is is good to knowledge acknowledge um is that if there is such a thing as the good life we have to acknowledge that there is a not good life <laughs> absolutely and it seems philosophers seems to think, especially in antiquity, I want to say, that the majority of us are living the non-good life, mm. and that in order to to live the good life instead, or a version of the good life, you will need to do something uh, specific, special. You need to you need to do something uh, that it's different from what the everyday person does, I guess. Yeah, I was thinking that too, and I feel like that's kind of important because when you say there's the good life and you exclude the the not good life, the first thing you think of is the the bad life, right? Like the worst exactly. kind of life. And you're like, all right, yeah, that's definitely not the good life. Mm-hmm. But you also got to remember that it's distinct from the the regular, right? Like the average everyday life, like you said it. So whatever the good life is, it is not commonplace i would say there there has to be something exceptional about it that where where people are distinguished from other other lives yes and uh, um and just to take this out of the way right away i would say uh we're not talking about some sort of hierarchy it's not maslow hierarchy right where there is the basic right, right, life right. and then there's the slightly better and then better and then better and then you were fulfilled uh i don't i don't think of it in that way um, and as you say, of course, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when somebody thinks of a life that's not the good life is, you know, if you're sick, if your health is poor, uh, if you have no means, if you're suffering, if something is concretely ruining, ruining the quality of your life. But instead, there is at least another piece there, which is the regular life that mm-hmm. is still to be distinguished from the good life. Yes, and even within the bad life, there's the suffering, pain, all the stuff you talked about yeah. where things are happening to you that are making your life bad. But then there's also the you are actively doing bad things life. So absolutely, absolutely. And, um, and I think that maybe one of the first things that we can say, that we can um, 
kind of focus on when we talk about the good life is the this aspect of activity, right? Mm. You need to be actively at least searching for the good life. The good life is not something that happens to you just by chance, right? It's not something that you uh, stumble upon. Uh, it's something that is almost, um, I mean, I don't know if it's the right choice of word, but it's a conscious choice, at least the pursuit of it. That seems right. And so you don't stumble on, upon it. I think it's a good way. You don't, uh, out of luck, have the good life. And also, I'm thinking of Aristotle here because I was, I was just doing it in class. You're not born with the good life, right? Absolutely. You're born with the capacity to live mm-hmm. the good life, he says. And, and it's kind of up to you whether or not you actualize that potential. Yes, and uh, and this is interesting because you know usually when you, you read Aristotle, um, and especially when if you're an undergraduate, right, you think that what he's talking about is the fact that you're not born. Um, there are not physical abilities within you that will make you um, better at living this good life than somebody else. That will, we're all born with the same abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what we usually don't think about uh, is the fact that if we take Aristotle seriously, uh, this also means that if you are born rich, that doesn't mean that you have necessarily more, um, how can we say, uh, more of a chance to live a good life. It helps, mm-hmm. and Aristotle will say that he, Aristotle is weird, right? Because then he says that if you're short, you cannot, you, you cannot be happy. But so Danny DeVito was just miserable. Yeah, exactly. But again, if we take away those those idiosyncrasies of Aristotle, right? Um, if we take seriously what he says and we kind of use it in the context of our um, society, of our understanding of our life, I think that he means that even if you're born, you can be born a millionaire, and yet this doesn't grant you automatically access to the good life. Yeah, and I'm thinking that there's this weird kind of thing that looks like tension, but ultimately is not tension, where to say there's the good life, you have to admit of uh, a, a dividing line, right, at some point. Like, there is a definition of this thing, and there are things that are in it, and there are things that are not in it, right? So right off the bat, it is opposed to relativism. Absolutely. So it, so it falls in line if you work within the dichotomy as a kind of absolutism. But that doesn't mean, have to mean being rigid, black and white without nuance. Because I would say, especially Aristotle, even though there, there are high standards, they're very contextual. Yes. And the, uh, he, he talks about, not to get too much into this, but just to relate it to what we're talking to, when he talks about virtue specifically, he says virtue is the mean between two vices, right? But he says mm-hmm. it's a relative mean, yes. meaning it's a virtue that relates to your specific context. And so I think this is relating to what you're saying, like being rich, poor, being born into uh, comfort or being born into a bad situation or falling into a bad stage, uh, situation, like all these people have the opportunity to still live the good life, right within their situation. Yes, absolutely, and I and I think uh, this tension is uh, that you're mentioning is interesting because, for example, a philosopher that is usually 
considered probably as farther away from Aristotle as there is, that I think also has in his mind a specific version of of, of living a good life is Nietzsche. I, think, I was, yeah, I was thinking him before too. That's weird. I, I think that he is he has this dividing line as well, right? There's the herd and there's the Uberman, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it's clear that you don't want to live the life of the herd, right? <laughs> that is the non-good life. Then whoever is, you know, whoever's living the good life in Nietzsche's terms is the one who's, you know, kind of realizing its potential. That he is living to the standard of the of the Uberman, and he is, um, a, I don't know, he is. Um, Becoming yeah. what he is. He is more than in some yeah. sense. Yes. And I was thinking about Nietzsche before when we were talking about the, the common. Mm-hmm. Because in uh, the first essay of The Genealogy of Morals, he makes this distinction you know, between master and slave morality. Yeah. And there are those who will say that he endorses neither. But at the end of the day, I think that he is more disliking of the slave morality and he so he he does this you know linguistic genealogy of the words good and bad and all that good stuff and then he says you know you trace these words back and they all have this root um like like if you take bad for example it all has this this root in like averageness yeah right what is common um, as opposed to good, which had this kind of aristocratic connotation or whatever, right? And so Nietzsche is definitely someone who's going to say the average is associated with the bad, and what the, the Ubermensch will do is transcend that kind of thing, right, to self-actualize. And again, that, that seems related to the Greeks, yeah, and and we know that Nietzsche liked the pre-Socratics especially, right? He hated Plato and Socrates, <laughs> uh, at least on on a surface level. Mm. Um, but yes, I think I think this is true, and I think that there is uh, there must be something um, about this idea of average mm. uh, that has to do with what we're talking about, right? Being average doesn't seem to be good for Nietzsche. Being average, the average layman. Even if for Aristotle is not the one really living the good life. Uh, in general, there is this idea that if you are being um, just this regular uh, nine to five job person <laughs> that uh, just gets up in the morning, goes to work, comes back, never thinks of anything but this job, the football game, and you know mm-hmm. uh, the, the the basic necessities. Uh, if you're doing just that. Even though you might think you're happy, you're not living the good life. That's definitely what they would say. And this is very prevalent in the history of... I mean, I would say it's almost like a precondition to being a philosopher, right? Because Mill talks about this. Uh, Kierkegaard certainly talks about this and how the leveling process is bad. And so it seems like in order to be a philosopher, right, you kind of... Take, accept this hardline distinction, at least in abstraction, that there mm-hmm. is a difference between living the capital G good life and then the not good life. Now, as for what goes into that, 
right? Like what, what constitutes the good life and the not good life? I think that's where the real meat of the, the conversation happens. Um, absolutely. So I think just to briefly recap, we have agreed on the fact that you, there is an element of active searching that goes with the good life, right? And I think this is already one of the things that excludes all, all sorts of things, right? Because again, if you're just going to work, going back home and doing your regular stuff, you're not really searching for it. Hmm. You, might, you might be living a life that's good, but you're not living the good life, right? <laughs> right, right. In the sense that maybe you don't feel like you're missing anything. Uh, you feel that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, I don't know if in, in uh, consumeristic terms, if you want to buy something, you can buy it, right? Yes, yes. But then yet, uh, our philosophers would say, uh, yet you're still missing a chunk. So searching, I think, is an interesting quality. One that I'm thinking of right off the bat, too, is struggle. In what sense do you mean? Because I might agree with that. In the sense that a life completely without obstacles and trying on your part would not be a good life. So you kind of you're gonna think that you need to a little bit of suffering there to to appreciate Yes. Yes. Like you don't just you know, the person living in the virtual reality pod where all of their needs and pleasures are met instantaneously and they never feel any kind of pain that like that you're maybe you're living longer maybe you're not feeling any pain but i don't think that's the good life because you don't have some basic elements that are required to have that good life which i think is struggle and and kind of like finding meaning in those things Mm, i I'm wondering if if you mean this in the in the literal sense, almost meaning that you need to uh, to have to suffer somehow in order to appreciate uh, what's not suffering, or if you're rather saying, which I think is what you're saying actually, that in order to truly understand life, you need to experience almost the entirety of it all facets of it and pain is one of those things that's part of 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 life it's part of of you know everyone's experience yeah i think that goodness whatever it is would necessarily have to emerge from some kind of interaction or potential interaction with the bad okay okay and i'm mm, yes definitely i i'm not a super fan of this idea that good has to be it needs to be understood in terms of absence of bad or opposite of bad but uh, but i think i understand what you're saying because in that case i think we are making the good and by extension, the good life, just a life that is conscious of the fact that pain exists. But my fear is that we then kind of make it, it becomes too close to just being this utilitarian version of of life where it's just absence oh. of pain. 
Yeah. So I, which I don't think is what you're saying, just to clarify. But but I think that if we say it that way, uh, people might think that what you're saying is well, we're saying is we need to know what pain is so we can avoid it. And this trying to avoid pain is the searching of which they're talking about. Right? Oh yeah, definitely not that. I think I think the thing I'm saying is, at least from from my perspective, like um, intentionally not utilitarian. <laughs> but I, I, I guess the idea, let me see if I could put it in other terms. The idea is that, especially if you're coming from a Greek perspective, that goodness requires someone to develop character. Yes. And character only develops when people find themselves in situations where they have to act in adversity yeah in adversity right um so if the situation never presents itself you know if the if the possibility for you to emerge as having good character never presents itself then you could never emerge as having good character so i think that's that's kind of all i mean gotcha so um it's more like it seems to me that this this adversity is almost the fuel that that the fires this 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 change that eventually this, this that, that that it's necessary to yeah or at uh, least the potential for it at least the potential for it, yeah okay yeah that that we can we can agree on that I think another thing that it's implicit in what you're saying also you were talking about relationships before it's one of my uh, one of the things I always say right you're gonna live the good life by yourself right you live the good life within yeah. the context of of a group at least if we don't want to call it society of a, of a, in an interaction with other human beings some people would say maybe animals too but at least if the, if you're the only human being and then you're surrounded by bears and wolves i don't think you can live the good life either yeah i think uh, and not because they eat you but just uh, you can't you, yeah you need just something else, else. I'm yeah. thinking, and Aristotle goes, he, he specifically goes out of his way to mention this in Nicomachean Ethics when he's talking about eudaimonia, right, which is this yeah. term he uses for life, the good life, uh, you know, being in such a way that puts you closer to the gods and divine-like and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that it's, he says eudaimonia is self-sufficient. And I always have to explain, I feel like, what that means in class because people think Oh, he's saying you have to be self-sufficient? And I mean, it's good to be self-sufficient, but what he's saying is you the quality, not say it's not a quality, but like the state, let's say, of eudaimonia yeah. is sufficient for the good life, right? Like, like a life of eudaimonia is not lacking in anything. And he specifically mm-hmm. says it's not a matter of you being isolated alone from anyone. Like in order to flourish, you need to have a network of, re- of, of relations that you're working with and absolutely quite the opposite for Aristotle right we are a political animal of zoon politicon right by, by definition so we need other people uh, in order to, to fulfill our potential right yeah I feel like the only exception would be uh, some weird scientific situation where you're like <laughs> the last man on earth and you have 70 years left and you're like well gotta be the best I can be in the post-apocalyptic world <laughs> But wouldn't that be more of a, a hedonistic view rather than? Oh, 
I mean, I mean, you can go that route because I would think uh, <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> that's what you would really. Would you do that? <laughs> if I'm the last man alive, yeah. Then it's, uh, there's no uh, probably. Who cares, right? That's that's okay. So that's interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, uh, I have seven years left. If they become sixty nine, because I uh, I'm I'm smoking cigarette or drinking too much. Right, right, right. <laughs> Who am I gonna upset? <laughs> So I guess this is like an interesting little thought experiment that relates exactly to what we're talking about. Because I think when we did the ethics episode, mm-hmm. we explained how, you know, ethics is not merely what you do when you, you mm-hmm. know you're being watched. It's what yep. you do, you know, when you're not being watched, when you're truly you in a manner of speaking. Exactly. And I feel like exactly. we can extend that here because what like what is the good life right what 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 do you how much of what you do i guess mm-hmm. is an interesting question is dependent on you thinking that you have to act that way and or you being forced to act that way because of external constraints or threats and mm-hmm. i feel like these these are related questions you know it's not exactly the same thing but i don't know they, no they are but I, and again i think i have to clarify so in the thought experiment where I'm the last one there, right? Mm-hmm. Why am I acting like, you know, that, like I don't care? It's not because I'm finally free of all constraints, uh, but it's because I at that point I really don't care anymore mm. right? because there's nothing to care about because the possibility for the good life itself, it's gone because I'm alone. So I might as well live a life of, simply bodily pleasure hmm. because that's that's all there is once you know the, the the ability to act you know if you can if you're living the good life or at least if you're trying to live the good life you want to try to conserve that as long as possible therefore you be you try to be moderate in your stuff in the things that you eat drink whatever you try to do certain things to extend the state that it is the good life but once it the preconditions to live that are gone the group of people that surrounds me, then what's the point, right? So I, I think you, you said a, an interesting word there that's probably important in living the good life, some would say essential, which is care. Because mm-hmm. it seems like what you were saying was if you don't care anymore, then mm-hmm. everything goes out the window. So whatever the good life is, first and foremost, it, it involves someone caring about things. Absolutely. Um, care is fundamental and it, caring about things caring about oneself caring about the relation that the self has um, with others better yet caring about the fact that you're never completely isolated and you're always mingling we can say just by nature just by just considering what we are with other beings Hmm. We're always immersed. We're, again, we're not a, um, and we don't have to get into this, but we're not an object that's separated from everything else. I, I think that life is this. Um, how can we call it? It's fluid. It's where everything is really mm-hmm. attached. You know this. We've talked about this many times, um, and I think that that's important. Realizing that and having that care in your head, it's it's important. So, so. Uh we throw out nihilism, right? We have to. 
Uh, definitely. <laughs> right, because that's like the, it's the negation of of care. So there's there's no such thing as the nihilistic good life, right, or the nihilist living the good life. Absolutely not. <laughs> last <laughs> last week I was watching, I was rewatching for I don't know how many time I watched this movie. I was watching The Big Lebowski. Okay. <laughs> and there are denialists there. And yeah, yeah. You look at those guys. They're not living a good life for sure. Right. <laughs> they are like miserable and they're trying to get like, you know, one cut of stow and the other, they're, they're like in a horrible, but jokes aside, of course, because if you don't care about anything, you're, if you're a nihilist, and, and again, I doubt these people really exist, but if you are a nihilist, you, you can't possibly be living a good life. It's impossible. I mean, yeah, it's, it's even... It, you, you could even say there's really no such thing as nihilism other than in concept because who exists totally devoid of any kind of concern? Now, that's not to say there aren't people that, that tend in that direction because I think people do often have a lot of nihilistic tendencies and I, yeah. and I kind of think that's, that's why a lot, a lot of the time why bad habits develop because it's like oh well whatever it doesn't matter who cares so you could definitely go in that direction and it's not good um, no definitely not and I'm, but i'm wondering now so like what do we mean when we say care then because we both agree that whatever care is is necessary for the good life but what do we what do you think that involves well that's a hard question isn't it <laughs> i care um, about it <laughs> yeah i know me too um i think I think he has to do with uh, with one element, uh, more than one element. I think there are a couple of things that need to be there in order for us to care, in order for us to truly understand what care means. Mm. So I will not answer the question directly. I would rather start from, from a different direction. I think that okay. in order to have this thing that we call care, there is, um, we need to value, which is another term that's important there, we need to value... Uh, Numerous things. And first and foremost, I would say that we need to have a high regard for time. Hmm. Meaning that spending time and using time in one way rather than another, parceling our days in one way rather than another, it is fundamental to get this caring. And also I think that uh, the good life is in some way a eulogy of slowness. I think that you cannot live a good life in a fast way. You need to be taking things slow. Yeah. And that also means to care, right? Literally, to care for something means to spend time, you know, with that something in one way or another, to pay attention to that something. And in order to pay, truly pay attention to certain things, you need to take your time. That that's pretty good, and I'm thinking of an example that maybe, like, is kind of silly. But uh, I was thinking, you ever see that Adam Sandler movie Click? No, actually. Okay, no. so not a fan of Adam Sandler. Sorry. That no, that's that's cool. Adam Sandler fans write us angry letters. Um, but in this movie, we'll write him angry letters. But in this movie, he basically gets a remote where he can like fast forward oh, through yeah, different parts actually, of you know, life. You know what? I saw it. Right, and so at first he's excited, like, "Oh, I get to skip past all the quote-unquote boring moments of life, like having to sit at dinner with my family or having to do these ev- again, like very nihilistic, mm-hmm. hedonistic thing." Um, 
And then by the end, he's like an old man. And I think, I don't know, there's the remote break or something, but he can't get it back. And then so at some point he realizes like he wasted all this time skipping things, not paying attention, not caring. And mm-hmm. at some point it, it hit him. And I was thinking of this when you said that because I think that's exactly right. It's like um, you want to live in the moment. And uh, the most recent Seinfeld stand-up had something funny about this. He says, everyone is constantly living in this state of wanting to be somewhere other than where they are, right? Yeah. And that's not good, right? Because that's how you, you know, when they talk about time flies and, you know, before you know it, you're old and you're missing things. Like, that. that's kind of how that happens, right? It is. I think it is. And, and especially nowadays where we are always projecting to the next moment and to what's going to happen and when everything has to happen fast because we cannot you know we need to 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 move along i think that that's the case yes that's that's what we're seeing and and i think to build on the examples that you're using think of this when is that when is that you receive a gift that you think is thoughtful right it's when somebody has spent time thinking at least of what he or she wants to give you right or think about uh, for example one of the things that's maddening to me is when some students just submit things in a careless way right mm. meaning that you know that they haven't spent any time to review the things that they're doing right and this is fundamental and this carelessness shows right and this is almost i mean not that it hurts me but he shows this thing that he shows that they haven't paid attention and that this thing is being neglected yeah. and this all thing, this all experience becomes poor. So on an higher level, you need to care and to spend time uh, doing things or living in a way, I, we haven't said that yet, but mm-hmm. uh, that allows you to, to actually, you know, um, to care for things you need. And again, without this element of time and slowing down things, I think there's no way you're going to be living a good life. Yeah, I mean, that that thing you just said upsets me, too, um, because it, it means that you're not engaged, right? Like, you're just like, I want to get out of here, right? I don't care about this. Exactly. And that's why I, I specifically will say, like, avoid careless errors, because when you make careless errors, right, it's one thing to make an error, mm-hmm. but a careless error sends me the sing- like a bad signal. And Absolutely. you don't want to send that signal to someone, right? Like, like I'm not paying attention to this. Like, I, I am not at all here in spirit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems that paying attention, yeah. caring, spending time with whatever, that those, those seems to be preconditions almost, right? And it seems like the reason that someone would make it a careless error is because to, to care is not an easy thing. It requires... Mm-hmm effort on your part and i think this is kind of what i meant in the beginning when i was talking about struggle something like putting in effort um something like having to do something because the world doesn't bend around you seems to be a a precondition and earlier what you said about time i think makes a lot of sense and would you say it's because time is scarce is that why it's important i don't know if I don't know if time is scarce itself, but we had the tendency of making it scarce. Well, let's say the the time a human has in her oh, life. Uh, no, for sure, of course, definitely, right? It's not it's not that long. 
uh, and we have the tendency of making it even shorter, right? Yeah, because I, I was thinking, like when I heard you say that, I I, I was thinking of, of the scarcity of time, and that's precisely why I think that you regret things because mm-hmm. you literally can't get it back, right? Absolutely. And I'm wondering if the larger point here, um, you know, of which time is a kind of subcategory, would be finitude. It seems like engaging in the proper way with the the inevitable finitude of the mm-hmm. human condition seems to be how you live the good life. Um, absolutely. And I think we could circle back to the episode that we had on death, right? Where that thing seems to give meaning, right? Or at least it allows us to give meaning to this thing that we call life, and I think goes in the same direction. And finitude, it is definitely uh, fundamental there. And but it's fi- it's interesting because the fact that is that life is finite somehow should urge us, should make it easier for us to put in the effort to care, right? Mm-hmm. While instead, as you said, it's so difficult that we don't do that and maybe this has to do with the fact as Kierkegaard would say that we don't really understand the, the yeah. fact that we're going to die I think it's that we, we can't uh, we can comprehend that fully uh, but again uh, and maybe you know when Plato says that to philosophize is to live for death right to live yeah, to die to die well to die well maybe that's what he means he means that at a certain point you realize that this finitude and finally you start moving you start inching towards this, this, mm. this, this idea that you have to live in a way that's different and that might be painful sometimes. It's because it's like every habit, right? You need to form this habit and you need to uh, discontinue another one, and that's painful. That's hard. I think of something you've said in the past: how some phenomena move so slowly that you don't recognize that it's a thing, right? Like that it's happening. And this seems to be one example of that. Like why doesn't the scarcity of life, right? Of, of time in your life Mm -hmm. motivate people. And I think it's because by the time you recognize finitude as such, it's already too late, right? You're already done. (laughs) And, and yeah, I mean, this is a kind of thing that, you can't force someone to realize, but hopefully, right, mm-hmm. one would have this realization at a point early enough where they could do something, right, and mm-hmm. meaningful, something that gives them purpose, something where they look back on their life like, you know, uh, Cephalus, the old man, looking back at their life and, and they feel proud about it. And it yeah. seems like you have to really full, and this is, I'm, you know, going back to the, the existentialist episode we did, feel like the, the full burden of being, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. full weight of existence. And to me, it seems like if you don't do that, then you can't take all these other steps. It seems like, it definitely seems like that. I agree with you. And I will add that, you know, it's, I think we're getting closer to, to try to establish what we have to care for, right? Hmm. So it seems like the, the first thing that we have to care for is the fact that we're going to die, It's which is... It's just interesting, right? Because it, if we are right somehow, and if we're not, you know, if we're making sense, 
the first thing is in order to live a good life, you need to care about the fact that that is finite, that mm. that one day will go away, that there is a point in which this will go away. And the sooner you realize this seems, uh, according to what we said, the sooner you will try to, you start the active searching. At least it can, it can go that way, right? Yeah, and I mean, this is why, this is one of the reasons why I appreciate the older Sartre, right? All beat the side that I have or uh-huh. you have. Because, I mean, in, in Being in Nothingness, he, he talks about this idea of negation mm-hmm. as kind of the, the precondition for things being. And he uses the, the famous example of, you know, you go to look for your friend in the cafe, and when you don't see your friend, like, negation kind of presents itself as a, as a positive phenomena. And this is, like, horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Because true nothingness is like the exact negation of everything that is so so you can never experience it as such right but you could experience Mm -hmm. it as like um like a threat like a haunting thing and he goes i think like a ghost like a ghost um he goes into great detail to explain that everything is like fragile right like so fragile it could just disappear at the snap of a finger, something is as simple as like, I, uh, I don't know, I go to throw something in the hamper and then I mm-hmm. miss, right? Negation presents yeah. itself and the full like fragility of the world presents itself in that kind of like unready to hand moment as Heidegger would say. And I, I think, I think this is, yeah, it, it, I'm, yeah. yeah that, that I'm might, kind of rambling, but be. I think it's related. <laughs> yeah, it might, might very well be. And so I have a question, right? So okay. we're saying that we need this, this, this things, um, and we need this to care for this, and we we need to realize this, all this existential dread that's that surrounds us. Um, but then somebody, and rightly so, might ask us, like, okay, you told us that we need to care. Okay, we need to we need to understand first of all this dread, but then what we need to care about? What is this thing that we need to care for? Because yeah. uh, can you, I'm, I mean, imagine a, a, a student or somebody that comes and be like, and is like, okay, fine, I want to live the good life. Mm-hmm. Please give me some pointers. What do I care for? <laughs> like write the booklet. Yeah, it's like, do I care for you know? Uh, does it mean that I have to take it slow so I should get late at work? Uh, does it mean that I should care for? Um, I shouldn't care for money at all. I should care for just to love everyone and everything. Hmm. Should I hug trees? What do I do? <laughs> so I think that's a good question. Because um, we even, yeah, we didn't even touch upon that yet. So this conversation, much like, you know, anything else is moving slow. and We can't recognize what's <laughs> happening. But I think probably a good way to look at this Weirdly enough, I'm going to appeal to intuition, okay. which I feel like I don't often do explicitly, but I'm going to do that here. And I think there's something to this idea of, on the one hand, let's say like considering a moral exemplar. Okay. Think of like the ideal person. Like what would the ideal person do in this situation, not what would the ideal person do in abstract from any constraints, but like mm-hmm. given 
your particular context, what would the ideal person do? And I feel like I feel like a lot of virtue ethics is kind of based on that, this right information, right time, right motivation. Um, I, I, I think that's kind of a good starting point, and I know that doesn't give a satisfying answer yet, but I feel like mm-hmm. it's valuable somehow. No, it is valuable, and I'm wondering, so since you're saying this, um, I'm wondering, are we saying that living the good life is an ethical act? Hmm. It doesn't mean that to live... I mean, virtue ethics would say so, but I'm saying, is it... To live the good life doesn't mean to live virtuously, ethically. Uh, I don't know how else we should say. So I think that... Because I think this is something that me and you kind of preliminarily hinted at that, oh, when we do this episode, we're going to run into this point where we realize that, like... This is not the same as ethics. Mm-mm. And so I, I think what I would say is that ethics is uh, a necessary but not sufficient condition for the good life. Virtue, on the other hand, may very well be sufficient because I think with virtue, you get to bring things in that aren't like typical. I'm going to say typically typically, because it's such a famous thing, but like that aren't directly ethical because for Aristotle, he has the, the virtues of character, right? The moral virtues, but he also has the intellectual virtues, the virtues of thought. And I feel like that is just as important. And Mm -hmm. virtue is not just, you know, telling the truth Mm -hmm. or, you know, being courageous, which are both really important things, but even like wit, right? He took like, indulging to an extent and so it seems like virtues allow you to bring in more to the good life than you would be able to with like a kind of shallow notion of ethics Mm. i think Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting and uh and and again this shows another of the tensions right because we have said before at least i've said before that you cannot live the good life by yourself right Mm -hmm. that you need the, the realization that others are there but then again it seems that if virtues are fundamental to it, it seems like that you can acquire those virtues. And if you have acquired them, you might not need anybody else anymore once you get them, once you have them. Once you are, hmm. uh, you know, intellectually virtuous, or once you have those virtues of character, then you're fine. Then you can live close in a room. What? <laughs> I mean, that would be scary, right? I, I, I think that the the cool thing about virtues is that, or virtue itself, not any particular virtue, rather, is that it's not things you collect. And I think when you talk about becoming virtuous, it's like a perpetual becoming. It's not like, mm-hmm. a, oh, I reached the end of the race, and then now I'm here. It's this thing that you continually practice as long as you're alive. This is like a lifelong pursuit. So there is no such thing as acquiring virtues, but rather there is performing virtues. Maybe, yeah. It's like it's being a musician, like you practice music, right? Mm-hmm. You practice medicine. You practice mm-hmm. philosophy. So it seems like, yeah, it's, it's a kind of state, but I don't think it's a static state. So it's, it's a performative act, we can say. Not in the in the sense that it's shallow and you're just you know showing that, but in the sense that it's something that you know 
the true sense of the word. Like you have to do something. You yeah. need to be engaged into that. And in a certain uh, way, right? It's, I think yes. it's like um, it's what you do and how you do it. So there's a disposition involved. Mm. So it seems that in order to be living the good life, you need to have some level. Uh, you need to perform specific actions. You need to... Mm be involved into this performative actions that is virtue we can call it right which is being virtuous um but then again if you want to be picky i'll be like okay so what does that mean right yeah i no, i think that's the perfect question right so right now where we're at is like okay which is, is gonna sound funny so to live the good life you have to do certain things in a certain way <laughs> it's like <laughs> yep that's right but but it, I, it's that's not simple, right? That's not a glib thing. And, and I guess in the in the next episode, we could start to or at least try to explore what, you know, to plug in those things of that abstract, abstract, abstract formula. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's, there's going to be to talk about. I, I'm surprised you haven't brought in one specific concept uh, yet. Uh, but... Uh, we live this hanging. Yeah, we live this hanging there. <laughs> All right, so we'll see you guys next time.